Happy Labor Day weekend, everybody. Three-day weekend. You guys are all the smart ones that didn't go camping because you knew it would rain. So well done. Uh, it's great to be here with you this morning. My name is Annie Duncan. I'm the executive pastor here at Bell Press. And we are in our very last week of what we've been going through this summer, a series called, But What Does It Mean? Taking a look at some of the stuff that we say we believe as Christians and asking that question, okay, that's great that you believe that, but what does it mean? And this final week, this final Sunday that we're in this series, we are looking at a really fun topic, judgment. Dun, dun, dun. So before we dive in, we need to kind of draw a line in the sand and talk about what God's judgment means and what our judgment means. Kind of like what Colin was talking about with the blue box sermon, because they're very different. God's judgment is always perfect because God sees the whole package. He sees the whole perspective because he's God. But our judgment is always imperfect. We see it from our perspective, which is limited. So when you make a snap judgment about somebody, what they're wearing, what they said, what you think they did or what you heard they did, that judgment is always limited because it's just one-sided. But God has 20-20 vision when it comes to judgment. And to kind of explain the difference between God's judgment and our judgment, I'm going to tell you a little story. Something that my husband and I fight a lot about is how I put things on the counter a little bit too close to the edge. This is real. Enter the Duncan family household. I will take my coffee cup, I'll put it on the coffee table, and if it's hanging over just a smidgen, I'm confident that gravity will handle it and keep it there on the coffee table. But this drives my husband bananas. When he sees this, he gets mad and he's like, Annie, accidents will happen. Use common sense. And now that we have a puppy in the house, he's like, the puppy can get it there. What are you doing? So the other day, I, I, I'm just fine with it. Like knives, plates, cups. I just, I think that gravity will handle it. But the other day, um, oh, but because he's relentless about reminding me, you know, I have been getting better at this. I'll go to set a plate down on the counter where I normally do. And then I'll remember his words of caution and I'll slide it in a few inches. Good job, Annie. Good job. So the other day, though, I took a plate and in common fashion, I put it right there on the edge and our puppy, like my husband has been warning me, jumped up and started to lick the food that was left off of the plate, which is not good. We're trying not to feed our puppy human food. We don't want him to know that it's better. <laughs> so my husband got mad at me and in his judgment, his judgment in that moment is Annie, you are disrespecting me. You are not listening to the way that I'm trying to correct you. And my judgment in that moment was, I've made so much progress. Like, he hasn't seen the ways that I've, you know, put sharp knives away from the perils of the counter's edge. He hasn't seen me in those moments. So you see, our judgments were imperfect. His judgment was that I wasn't listening. My judgment was, why don't you just credit the progress that I've made? So God's judgment, though, is always perfect. Ours are limited. And we make judgments all the time, don't we? This is why Jesus says, do not judge in Matthew 7. So let's just leave the judging up to God. Because God's judgment is perfect. It's spot on, perfectly accurate. 
So let's keep that in mind, the difference between our judgment and God's judgment. Let's keep that in mind as we go on from here. Now, judgment, it gets a bad rap. But, and actually, when you heard that I was talking about judgment, you can be honest, did you kind of go, wah, wah, what a way to close this series. This is going to be boring. But no, get this, judgment, it's actually really good news that God judges us. Really good news. And that's what we're going to spend the morning talking about. Now, one of my favorite books of like defining theological terms is this book called Crazy Talk. It says it's a not so stuffy dictionary on theological terms. And when you look up judgment, it's not like a Merriam-Webster definition. When you look up judgment, it defines judgment by this dialogue between God and a person named Duh. Duh. We all know Duh. Duh has a hard time grasping the things of God, like forgiveness and mercy and grace and judgment. And let's be honest, there's a little bit of Duh in all of us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read half of this dialogue. We're going to unpack it a little bit, and then I'm going to read the other half. So here we go. The conversation kicks off with duh. You can follow along behind me. Hey, God, I've got some work for, here for you. I've been living in this neighborhood for a few years now, and I've gotten to know some of my neighbors pretty well. And let me tell you, there is some smiting and some punishing that needs to go down. So I've made a list of who's naughty in no particular order. These folks deserve some fire and brimstone. God, duh, I have one question about your list. I don't seem to see your name on the list. You are a sinner too, you know. Duh. Well, of course I know I'm a sinner, but I've been saved by grace through faith. And because I'm saved, I kind of figured that I just get to advance to go and collect $200 and that I am immune to judgment. After a short pause, remember a thousand ages in God's sight are like a moment gone. Duh, who told you that you are immune to judgment? And we're going to stop right there for a moment. Duh thinks that he is immune to judgment. And this brings us to our first point. You are not immune to judgment, and it turns out you really don't want to be. We can't receive Jesus' forgiveness without first being judged. Otherwise, what are we being forgiven for? Let me put it this way. Most of us here would agree that we're, we make mistakes from time to time. We mess up. We're a little bit broken. Well, that's sin. Sin that we've been forgiven for because of what Jesus did on the cross. And God's judgment is what helps name our sin. Knowing that God judges us, it helps us see, oh, hey, maybe that action that I just did, maybe that wasn't the best way I could have responded. So God saw our sin, saw how it broke us, and said, no way, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And so he judges our sin harshly and does away with it entirely. Through his son, Jesus, through Christ, we are forgiven. So we have to be just as comfortable with God judging us as we are with God forgiving us. We have to be just as comfortable with God judging us as we are with God forgiving us because they go hand in hand. We can't just accept God's forgiveness, but part of accepting God's forgiveness means that we accept God's judgment. It's agreeing with God and what he has to say about our sin, that it breaks us that it keeps us from what he's made us to be. Now, I think the reason that duh has a hard time with judgment and wanting to be immune to judgment is because we kind of have this screwed up perspective of what God's judgment means. We apply it where it shouldn't be applied. We believe God's judgment to be the same kind of things that happen as a result of sin. 
Like I lost my temper, I got really mad at my friend, and then the next day I got sick. Well, that's just God's judgment smacking down on me, right? I shouldn't have gotten mad at my friend, right? That's why I got sick. No. Maybe I just got sick because I got sick. Hear the good news. There is no such thing as karma Christianity, though it has many followers. Bono said, if karma was going to be my judge, I'd be in deep doo-doo. Except he didn't say doo-doo. And don't judge him for the word that he did say. Sometimes we'll feel the effects of sin, but that's just brokenness. That's not God's judgment. God's already judged our sin. Because either God poured out all of his wrath on Jesus or he didn't. And when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, either he was lying or he was telling the truth. If God is judging sin today by messing with our lives, then that means what Jesus did wasn't enough. So when you hear people claim that God is judging people today based on their sinful behavior, that's discrediting Jesus' sacrifice, that's discrediting the cross, and that's just wrong theology. I can get an amen, right? Amen. amen. That's just wrong theology. I got to be honest, a large part of my sermon, I was writing in response to what I thought high school Annie believed. High school Annie, she was a bit of a karma Christianity believer. She got good grades. She did the right thing. She treated her parents with honor and respect. She did all of these good things. And in her mind, she believed that she bypassed judgment because she was such a good person. Oh, high school Annie. She would have been the kind of person that was posting pictures of her perfect life on Instagram using the hashtag blessed. <laughs> Not knowing that we're all blessed unconditionally. Not just based on our behavior. That's good news. Like duh though, high school Annie's version of forgiveness wanted to bypass judgment. And that version of forgiveness opts for the easy way out. It says, can't we just all be forgiven and call it good? But the judgment, forgiven, combo, they go hand in hand and they offer us a new way of life. Jesus says, I have come that you may know life and life abundantly. And we can't know that new way of life that Jesus is talking about without first being confronted by our sin through God's judgment because sin destroys, but Jesus restores. So we aren't immune to judgment and we really don't want to be. Because of God's judgment, we are forgiven. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And did you catch that word condemn? Condemn. Jesus did not condemn, come to condemn, but to save. Which brings us to our second point on God's judgment. It's all about conviction, not condemnation. When we understand that God's judgment is actually a good thing, and when we believe that our sin has been taken for once and for all, this helps us to see our sin in a convicting way, but not a condemning way. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation offers no way out, but conviction always comes in a posture of hope. Condemnation is the voice that says to you, you're a failure, you are so messed up, you're never gonna change, no one's ever gonna like you. But conviction, conviction says, oh man, how did I become the kind of person that would do that? Is that who I want to be? Do you see the difference between the two? 
Conviction's a, a tool. It's a way that God nudges us, shows us our brokenness, and offers us another way to live. But condemnation gets us stuck because it offers no way out, no hope. And Scott Dudley has illustrated conviction well with this point. He says, God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. So if you never did another thing the rest of your life, God wouldn't love you any more or any less because we can't earn God's love and approval. But God doesn't just want you to sit there and do nothing because he's a good father. He wants you to do something. He wants you to live your life to the best potential, to live that life abundantly. And so he loves you so much that he refuses to let you stay the way you are. So he intervenes with conviction. Romans 2.4 says that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. And conviction is a way that God is kind. Conviction is a way that God says, there's another way. Ten years ago this fall, I was training for my first marathon. And during this time in my life, I was going through some personal issues. So I found that if I ran more miles, it helped numb those personal issues unhealthy, but I did it anyway. So I was training for this marathon and a few weeks before the marathon, I started to have all this pain in my knee. And so I grabbed my mentor and I said, hey, will you pray for me? Like, I'd love to receive healing in my knee so I can do this marathon. And she said, yeah. So we prayed for a while. She prayed for healing. God, heal Annie's knee. And after a while, the pain didn't subside. And so she said to me, she said, hey, how about we ask God if there's anybody that you need to forgive? Because sometimes... Forgiveness is a way to activate healing. It's a whole nother sermon, but it's really cool. So I, I pray and I pray that prayer and I listen like, God, is there anybody I need to forgive? And I immediately heard, you need to forgive yourself and you need to stop logging so many miles. Whew. Because that's the God that we serve. The God that is powerful enough to heal my knee, but he didn't. Instead, he convicted me and he said, Annie, there's a new way that you can be living. You don't have to numb this pain. You can forgive yourself and not log so many miles. You'll still run the marathon. That's the God that we serve. A God that loves us way too much to let us stay the way we are. He could have healed my knee and I could have kept on running way too many miles. But first, he wanted to deal with what was going on in my heart. And that's where the real healing was. So God convicts us. But more often than not, we condemn ourselves. And condemnation can look a variety of different ways. But here's just a few. An unwillingness to forgive yourself, like I just talked about. A fear of disappointing others. Comparing yourself to others. Hating yourself. And a fear of failure. And that last one is huge. We live in such a performance-driven culture. We want to be perfect. We don't want to fail. We think just the smallest mistake is failing. So we fear it. It keeps us up at night, makes us anxious. Jean Brown recently shared a story with me about when she was in high school and she received an F in chemistry. And Jean was a really hardworking student. And her teacher even commented to her, I've never seen anybody try so hard and still fail. Which I don't know if that was encouraging or not to her. So this was frustrating for Jean to receive this F, but she also remembers that time as being directional. She knew that as she struggled so much with these concepts from chemistry that she wasn't going to be a chemist. She wasn't going to be a doctor. She wasn't going to be a nurse. For her, it was directional. 
Failure is not fatal, it's directional. Why do we put all these pressures on ourselves that we need to be perfect at everything, that we can't ever fail? Sometimes failure is the thing, that fork in the road, that helps us make a decision. Sometimes it means that we need to work harder, and sometimes it means we need to move on. The ways that we condemn ourselves, none of these come from God, because God does not condemn us. So what do you do if you're caught in the habits of like self-condemnation? What do you do if that's you? Well, it's a process, but in Romans, God says that we can be transformed through the renewing of our minds. We have hope. We can be transformed. We don't have to live a life of self-condemnation. And it's a process, but self-condemnation starts in the mind. So if we can start rewiring the ways that we think, we can be freed from that. We can ask God for help. It also helps to be surrounded by people that think the way that we want to think. If you're struggling with self-condemnation and you are surrounded by people that think the way that you think, you need to get out of there. If you want to change the way you think, surround yourself by people that think the way you want to think, not how you currently think, because you can't become what you have not seen. So do not let the voice of condemnation win, because that's not God's voice. So let's find out how duh and God's conversation ends. We are picking up with where God had just asked duh, duh, who told you that you are immune to judgment? Duh responds, well, you did when you told me that there is nothing that I can do that will make you stop loving me or end our relationship. God, you don't have it quite right, duh. Being saved means being forgiven. It does not mean immunity to judgment. Let me put it another way. To be forgiven is to be judged, and the verdict is you are guilty. And then you are forgiven for Christ's sake. I never said that you aren't to be judged, only that when I look at you, I don't just see your sins. I also see my son, Jesus, who gave his life for you. Duh. That's a little hard on my self-esteem, God. I'm not sure that my therapist will like this at all. Wouldn't it be more affirming of you just to accept me rather than forgive me? Forgiveness seems to imply judgment, which is just so negative. God, you are almost getting it, but not quite. Forgiveness does indeed imply judgment, as I have already said. But this isn't negative. In fact, this is the best news there is. You don't have to compare yourself to your neighbor or lie to yourself and tell yourself that you are not a broken person or pretend that you are immune to judgment. You just have to be honest about the fact that you are a broken, fallen person and that you are forgiven and loved anyway. To be saved is to be judged and forgiven at the same time. To be saved is to be judged and forgiven at the same time. And that's good news. God says it's actually the best news because we don't have to compare ourselves. We don't have to condemn ourselves. We can just see ourselves as we are, a bit messy, a bit broken, and know that we are completely accepted and loved despite it. So God judges us. He sees our sin completely and loves us just the same. To be saved is to be judged and forgiven at the same time. And our response is to believe it and accept it. Be honest about ourselves. God is very comfortable with the skin that we're in. We need to be comfortable with the skin that we're in too. Be comfortable with him judging us. Be comfortable with him forgiving us. And God's judgment isn't just a list of things that we're supposed to do and the list of things that we're not supposed to do. His judgment points us to that abundant life, to that original design and plan that he has for us. 
And what gets in the way of that original design and plan that God has for us? Well, we do. We are the ones that get in the way because we care more about what people think than we do what God thinks. We want to be more accepted by the world than we do God. A lot of the judgments that we cast on ourselves are those internal judgments trying to answer the question, am I loved? Am I loved? And instead of going to God, we go to the world and we ask the world this question, am I loved? And the world responds with, yes, if. Yes, if you do this, if you buy this, if you wear that, yes, you are loved then. We need to go to God and ask him if we are loved because God's way is a different way and his answer is, yes, you are loved. He says, I don't judge you like the world judges you. I don't condemn you like the world condemns you. I accept you. And it starts with me judging you and ends with me accusing my son on your behalf because I love you so much. God invites us to live another way, a way where we can set aside the judgments of this world and hear his promise that we are loved and accepted. So we can live by God's judgment or we can live by the world's judgment, which is tireless and a place where we can never win. So if you're looking for another way, another way to live, if you're looking for that life abundantly, then hear God's words to you this day. God says, I see your sin, I judge your sin, and I would rather die than lose you. So I did. So God, we thank you that your judgment is good news. We thank you that you found a way to love us and accept us. We thank you that your judgment and your forgiveness means freedom. So God, give us one thing to hold on to today as we go from here. God, give us that hope that we so desperately need. It's in your name that we pray, amen.